Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information about Home Church, visit us at myhomechurch.org. One more time, just the voices. your presence here now Lord we're needy people but I thank you that we bless you when we come with our needs to you Lord Lord just like the Samaritan woman I thank you that you stand beside all the man-made wells that we go to and you offer a drink a drink that sets free thank you for your well, Lord. I thank you that that well is open to every person here. And I just ask, Holy Spirit, that as as we come before the word, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lead man to drink, drink from Jesus. And I pray that every well that's caused us to have brokenness and shame in our life, I, I pray we would sever connections to those old wells, Lord. I pray for the believer, Lord, that we would drink, drink, drink from you, Jesus. Pray for lamps that feel like they're flickering. I thank you, Jesus, that you're the great high priest that walks among the seven golden lampstands. Your heart is to keep the fire burning. I thank you that you are so faithful to walk amongst us right now. You look for the cold heart. You look for all hearts, but you look for the cold. You look for the weary, and you breathe fire on it again. Just asking Holy Spirit that what you've started here you would bring it to completion by the time we leave we would drink from you and that hearts would be burning for you Jesus 
Thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you, worship team. Amen. Johnny and Meg are in the back. Good to see you guys. So many, so many good people to see here. How's everyone doing this morning? Good? Yeah, you're with me? Oh, you, got, you got the resurrection hangover? You guys are here? Um, it's good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, real quick, just a, a reminder for those that came in a few minutes late that uh, Alpha has started. Amen. Alpha's in an awesome course. Um, but this is the only time this is happening. There is no alpha this week, all right? So uh, there was some conflict scheduling in, uh, at the property owners. So no alpha this week, but it will start up the week after that. So don't worry if you miss the opening week. It's a course you can just jump right in. They'll be in the second week. It's going to be awesome. But again, uh, no alpha this week. Next week we'll start. All right. Looks like everyone, uh, everyone's ready to roll. Yeah, so uh, I've got a number of things swirling in my heart um, that, that honestly go back for a few months, and I just feel over the next few weeks to just start to share these things. There are things that uh, have been highlighted through just personal study, and I just made a, a mark and said I want to come back to that at some point. I just I, I feel like we're at a good time to start to share some of these things, and they're not all connected outside of the fact that I just sense that at some point God put his finger on it, and we'll just step into it, and I, I think um, they'll really bless us. So what I want to do for this week and next week, these two are connected, although they're kind of on opposite sides of the spectrum, if you will. But I, I, I want to, um, I really feel like God's speaking to me personally, and I, I trust that it's, it's for us as a house, that he, he wants to deepen and enrich our times together as a community when we gather like this in, in corporate worship, if you will. I feel the Lord wants to deepen it, enrich it, mature it, refine it. And, uh, and so I just feel his heart on that, and all of it is unto intensified encounters. <laughs> like I feel all that's unto that what's happening here would, would just grow and your, your encounters with Holy Spirit and, and the transformation that comes from that would, would just, again, it would just be something that's building. We're going from faith to faith. So that's, that's the fruit of it all. And what I want to do this, this week, uh, we're going to go on one side of the spectrum is I, I feel like, I feel, I want to speak into the heart of new covenant worship. I really want to describe and explain uh, what new covenant worship is. What does it mean now that we come through the blood of Jesus? What does that mean for us? And I'm not so much wanting to get bound into the minor details of different expressions of worship, but I more want to capture the heart of what we could not do in the old, what we can now do in the new. And I hope that it would really give you uh, context for a lot of what happens in our gatherings here because I know for many especially and this is not to, to put down but I know a lot there's a lot of different roots Catholicism and whatnot and so I know this is a vastly different experience when you come in and there's worship going on and not that we are perfect in fact that'll be next week we'll talk about some really important guardrails for us um, by, by that, that are important but what I want you to know is that I want to give context I want to anchor our experience in the word because I, I want to give you permission to really run and jump in, especially if you feel like some of this is, is foreign to you. I want you to understand what it is that makes the heart of New Covenant, New Covenant worship. And I, I feel that for a lot of times, um, there can be a measure of hesitancy to jump in, and it's not from wanting to be on the outside. But I hope you'll see a lot of us. I know I, I've experienced things where you, you're actually, a lot of us are brought up and trained 
by old covenant worship experiences. <laughs> so when you come in a new covenant worship experience, it actually seems foreign. You're almost asking, is, can I do this? Can I experience this type of joy and freedom in the Lord? Because I've just never seen that before. But actually what you'll find is that's more of the normative pattern than the other. So I pray that for maybe those who are a bit hesitant to uh, jump in, that you would see that you've been given full permission, that faith would be released. I pray that hindrances to coming before God, like what we're going to see is in the new covenant, there's unhindered access in Christ. It's so incredible for you to bear your heart before the Lord and experience him and enjoy him. And I, I just pray that all would, uh, all would jump in. So we're going to look at that this morning, talk about new covenant worship. And then next week, very important, we're going to set some healthy guardrails for uh, us as a community uh, particularly if you're a charismatic community, I think it's important that we know that as, we're, as I'm inviting us into freedom, freedom also comes with boundaries. Yeah. And that's important. Uh, that is. And, and uh, it's not just that it's, uh, we're not looking to be unduly rowdy for no reason. That's not what I want. <laughs> that, that's, that's empty. That's emotional. Uh, although emotion should be evident. Emotion should be here. I mean, God is living. We're, see, we're coming for a living God. There should be joy and all these things that come. But at the same time, there is, there's a way for things to flow where, they, where, where we're promoting honor, love, mutual edification for one another. And so we'll look at that uh, next week. And I think at the end of it, there's a refining, maturing uh, step that we're taking as a body. Amen? And it's all, again, for us to encounter Jesus. So let's go to Hebrews 12 this morning. All right, Hebrews chapter 12. <clears throat> Bear with me, I'm losing my voice a little bit. <laughs> um, uh, verses 18 to 24. That's going to be our bread this morning. <laughs> That's going to lead us into the living word. So Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 to 24. Again, this morning I want to speak about the heart of new covenant worship. And I think it will really help us explain some of the things that happen here. So let me, let me just, it's really important that we have context. I like to do that. I like to share in the front end and get get through some of the, the, the teaching aspect because it allows us, once we set a frame, we don't have to keep stopping. We can now run and we know where we're at. So Hebrews, the, one of the dominant themes of Hebrews is the superiority, the greatness of Jesus compared to everything, okay? So Hebrews chapter 1, he's greater than the Old Testament prophets. He's greater than angels. <laughs> Hebrews 3 and 4, he's superior to Moses. He's superior to Joshua. I mean, and it goes in length about this. Hebrews 5 to 9, he's greater than Aaron and the old order of the priesthood. And with that, there's a greater temple here. And I mean, the list just goes on. And then in Hebrews chapter 10, he's not only a greater priest compared to the old covenant priest in that he's the one who mediates between us and, and the Father, but he's also a greater sacrifice. So he's the priest and he's the lamb. And he's a far better lamb. We're not repeating sacrifices over and over. There is a once and for all sufficient sacrifice. And so the point is that as you go through Hebrews, the author of this book is just drilling this theme of the supremacy of Christ. And when we get into chapter 12, he's still hitting this same theme, but he's going to do it in a very unusual way. He's going to do it by comparing or contrasting two mountains. And so I don't often give titles, but if you want to give one, it would be the tale of two mountains. I want us to see that these two mountains, one is Sinai, one is Zion, and they're really representative of two covenants. 
Okay, so Sinai represents old covenant. When Israel came to Sinai in the wilderness journeys out of Egypt, right? God gave the law. That's going to be uh, symbolic for old covenant worship, if you will. And then there's going to be Zion, which although it emerges first in the old covenant, it really becomes representative of new covenant realities. And it ties in with David. All right. So that's where that's where we're going to be picking this up is he's still explaining the greatness of Jesus and therefore the new covenant based on these pictures of two mountains. All right. Um, so just to be clear, these mountains are really an extended metaphor. because I don't want anyone to get lost on this. I want to I want to make sure we're going to go in the deep end of the pool, but I want everyone to be able to step in. Sometimes you got to come in the shallow end. All right. So there is there these these mountains represent two covenants. But really what the, then the author is getting at is that these two covenants really come with two different mediators. Moses for the old, Jesus for the new. And then really what the author of Hebrews wants us to see is the difference in ability for these two uh, mediators to mediate encounters with the Father. So what, what he wants us to see is that there should be a, 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 he's vividly contrasting what we are experiencing in our hearts as we draw near to God because we do not draw near through the mediation of Moses anymore but through the mediation of Jesus. It's radically different now. The sole thing that changes is your mediator has changed. Guys, I pray that the gospel would get so rooted in your heart this morning. Because God hasn't changed. He's still the same God. It's not about you changing. Your mediator has changed. This is why your experience, what you expect to take place this morning, is radically different. Not because God has shifted, but your mediator, who's covers you, who's mediating you into a relationship and encounter with God, has changed. That's the whole purpose of this. So that's what we're going to look at. Um, you know, I'll do this right now. I want to real quick present to you two questions, and this will, then we'll jump into this text, all right? Two questions for you. It's really the second question that I want us to, uh, we're going to explore this morning, but both are important. Number one is, what did you bring with yourself to church today? <laughs> what did you bring with yourself to church today? The second is, what did you come in uh, to this gathering expecting to happen? Okay, what did you bring with you, and what did you come in expecting to happen? Now, I can tell you for question number one, when I look around this room, Here's what I see. For the most part, you've probably brought a Bible, maybe a notepad, and that's really it. <laughs> some coffee. Some people have some coffee. But I just want you to think about this. What did you bring into the house of the Lord this morning? A Bible? A notepad? Here's what I don't see as I scan this tent. What I don't see is anyone sitting down with a rope tied uh, into their hand, and on the other side of the rope is a goat that they're getting ready to offer up. <laughs> What I don't see is anyone holding a turtle dove in their side getting ready to release a turtle dove. I don't see any sheaves of wheat to offer up a grain offering. I see no one holding a lamb on their lap, waiting for the appropriate time to come forward to pierce the lamb in order to spill its blood that you would know there's a forgiveness for sins. Isn't that interesting? We don't have any of that. Why? Because all of us know intrinsically there's a measure of confidence we have that there has been an offering that was put before us that is once and for all sufficient. It dealt with guilt, it dealt with shame, it dealt with the power of sin. And so we are living proof that we have a measure of confidence because you didn't bring an animal in and I didn't either. <laughs> now, before I go any further on this, actually just a side note that I want you to hear. I think it's so interesting. A lot of times we think of church gatherings as very neat and pristine. Just for a moment, think about what it was like in the temple in the Old Covenant. Can you imagine the scenes of what it was like coming into the house of the Lord? The priest, the pastor, was like a butcher. Can you imagine the altar is covered in blood? Can you imagine the sights and the sounds that you would be experiencing? Now the problem is, is that when we come in, we're not seeing physical blood. 
But don't for once think that this gathering is not drenched and soaked in the blood of the Lamb. This is why communion is so important, because without communion, we often forget that it's only by the blood that we're coming in this morning. And when you forget that, all of a sudden your motives start getting really jacked up. It starts, man, what do I need to do to get his attention and all these other things? And you get all messed up. And so we're going to take communion again this morning because we need to remind ourselves that it's the, it's the blood, guys. Like right now, if you could see in the spirit, if you're in Christ, you are covered in the blood of Jesus. Amen? That's why none of us brought any animals with us this morning because we trust that. But this is the greater question. So what? That's the second question. What did we come expecting? Like we, okay, so we didn't bring an animal because deep down we all know, at least objectively, that the blood of goats couldn't ever deal with our sin, couldn't really deal with the inside. How do I know you at least believe that objectively? Because you didn't bring an animal with you. But my question this morning is how should that expect, how should that change what we expect when we come into the house of the Lord? And according to what we're about to read in Hebrews, it changes everything. Like, what does it mean that I'm coming by the blood of Christ? How should that change what I feel in my heart as I draw near to God? How should that change what's going on in my mind? How should that change what we're expecting in terms of the mood and atmosphere in this gathering? <laughs> everything is changing now because we're coming through the blood of Jesus. Amen? So what I hope you'll see this morning is I want us to think about, like, what, what are we expecting when we come into this tent through the finished work of Christ? Are we coming more through an old covenant reality or are we coming more through a new covenant reality? And what we'll find is that an old covenant, and to be clear, well, we'll get into this, but an old covenant, God remains distant. It's more doom and gloom. Uh, people are actually not approaching God. It's more like a funeral service for the dead. <laughs> Rather than new covenant, is a celebration for those that have been resurrected. And so the question is, what did you come expecting this morning? You didn't bring an animal because you know the blood of Jesus is enough. So then the question is, how should that change what we're expecting this morning? And that's what we're going to read. So let's go into verse 18. All right, so it's 18 to 24. Now listen carefully. 18 to 21 is about uh, Sinai, the old covenant 22 to 24 is going to be about Zion, the new covenant. Now, I just want you to hear this. Both, both sections highlight seven descriptive terms of what we are to experience, whether it was old or new. Okay, so we're going to look at Israel first. But point is, is that it's rhythmically balanced. This is such a beautifully written piece of scripture right here. And the point is, you can't really appreciate the new unless you see the old. That's the idea. So we have to go through the old for us to really cherish what it is that we have in Jesus this morning. And again, I'm praying that this really shifts for all of us. Like, it just deepens the encounters that we're having with the Lord, okay? So they build in intensity in these first three verses. All seven descriptive words build in intensity. And it's going to climax with Moses' own description of what he felt coming before God. All right, here we go. Let me read it in its entirety, the, the three, first three verses, and then we'll summarize. For you have not come to what may be touched... This is speaking of Sinai. A blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, a whirlwind is what that means. And the sound of a trumpet, a blasting trumpet and a voice, this is God's voice, and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. Wow. 
For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. So actually there was a command in, in the Sinai experiences that man or beast, it doesn't mention the man because it wants us, it's actually highlighting the most extreme part of that command to let you know if not even a beast could come, do you think man could come to this mountain? Absolutely not. The whole thing is elevating the unapproachability of God right now. That's the, that's the idea. And then verse 21 says, Indeed, so terrifying was the sight. Here's the climactic statement that Moses said, I tremble with fear. All right, that's a pretty intense experience that we just read. So this describes old covenant worship experience in the gathering. Now here's what the writer of Hebrews is doing. He's masterfully recreating the scene that took place when Israel approached God at Mount Sinai and encountered him in this fiery epiphany. Why do I say he's recreating? Because he's drawing from four Old Testament texts, two in Exodus, two in Deuteronomy. But he's not taking the whole story, obviously. He's drawing bits and pieces, and he's recreating this picture, and he's doing it in a way that the details he's highlighting is he's wanting to promote and get us to see that, that this atmosphere is one of dread and confusion. So he, he purposefully highlights certain things that we would know that this was, a, was, was an atmosphere that was terrifying and intimidating, yes? So now what does he do specifically is that he emphasizes sensory imagery. Just stay with me. He emphasizes both what they saw and then what they heard. Look at verse 18 in terms of what they saw. They saw a blazing fire, darkness, and gloom. Now, what did they hear? They heard a whirlwind. I mean, think of that's like tornado-like. A whirlwind, the sound of a trumpet, a blasting trumpet, and a voice whose words, the sound of words. That was God's voice, but it was, they, all they heard was words. And the point is this. This is, this is what's interesting is that there's a measure of irony here and that Israel is encountering in a very profound way the violent effects of God's presence, but God himself is still remaining distant and obscure and remote. For on the visual side, blazing fire, darkness, and gloom are not agents to reveal. They actually obscure what you're trying to see. And on the, on the, on the auditory side, what they're hearing is a trumpet blast, whirlwind, and they're hearing a voice, but God's distinct voice is being hard to hear. This is becoming this, this ultimate picture of they're encountering the the effects of God's presence, but they're actually still not meeting with God himself. That's the whole picture. This is the picture of the old covenant, right? So the whole thing, all of these descriptive terms, both visible and auditory, all that phenomenon is setting a stage. What it's crying out to us is that this is a intimidating and very confusing experience that they're having. The whole thing screams out. It's like Sinai is screaming out that God is unapproachable, that God is infinitely holy, Man is utterly sinful and without a perfect covering, don't come near. Stay back. Stay away. Don't come too close. Now, what we're going to see is I want to put before you is that I think a lot of times this is how many people enter into the house of the Lord as a new covenant believer still. They're still coming with this measure of intimidation when God is calling them, as we're going to see, to draw near. God is calling them to, to open and bear their hearts before Him, but there's still all of these jacked up things inside of their heart because they have not recognized who it is that's mediating for them. And so what this picture says is stay back. You're unclean. You're unworthy. You can't come into the holy presence of God. And it was true. Man, I got much to say in this, but <laughs> a lot of experience, I will say, you know what? A lot of our experiences that, that I, I find happen in, in church today, it's, it's actually more in line with this than what we're about to read. And the problem is that we don't realize what's wrong with it because we give it a virtuous title. We call it reverence. 
We create environments like this and say, this is reverent. And so what reverence often means now is, hey, whatever you're doing outside the church, that's great. But when you step into the church, change your behavior, walk a little slower, speak a little quieter, stand a little stiffer. My friends, that's not reverence, that's bondage. That's not reverence. Reverence, reverence is response to a revelation of God. Therefore, when God starts revealing himself in his house, there is an incredible response that should take place. So we'll unpack that even more because when you see the new covenant, you see it's a vastly different experience. But all of this to say that this whole thing is, is crying out that you can't approach God. Now here's the key though. Look at verse 21. Verse 21 says, Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Now why would this be like the apex of this terrifying encounter? It's because Moses is the mediator. And what it's trying to say is, guys, this isn't good news. You, even your mediator is filled with fear as he comes before God. But this is so important because what's about to shift is our encounter at Zion now, which becomes our experience as New Covenant believers. And it's going to be one that's filled with joy, freedom, life, approachability, unhindered access to the Father. But what the writer of Hebrews wants you to know is that that shift in experiences as you draw near to God in your heart is not because God has changed. That's very important. A lot of times we think, oh, the reason why we're encountering something different this morning is because God is no longer the God of Sinai. Yes. No, he's just as holy <laughs> as that mountain. No man or beast can still touch that according to the old covenant. This is what makes this so mind-blowing. It's not that God has changed. It's not that we are better than the Israelites. What Hebrew writer wants us to see is that the one thing that's changed is your mediator. Yes. That's your soul confidence when you come before God. If you think it's God who's changed in a man, God's just kind of watered down his holiness over the years and said, all right, I'll put up with you. No, we've missed it. This is what makes the gospel so glorious. He's just as holy and majestic. He hasn't shifted, but what has shifted? The one who's mediating you as you draw near to him now. As I said before, you're covered now in the blood of Jesus Christ. This is your confidence, guys. Your confidence is not, I wonder what mood I'm going to find God in this morning. <laughs> Will I find him in the Sinai mood or the Zion mood? <laughs> no, 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 you've missed it. And it's not about, hey, I wonder if I've done enough to be before the Lord. Although we labor, as Paul says, we labor extensively through the grace of God. Uh, it's not about that. But the point is, is that when we come before him, it's based on one thing. Who's mediating you? And if you're in Christ, you're about to hear what your inheritance is as you come before God. Amen? So let's look at this second part. Now this is verses 22 to 24. And once again, there's seven elements that are listed just like you saw at Sinai. But these are all meant to provide encouragement. These are all meant to lead you to come boldly into the presence of God. So I want you to just, man, what's being communicated today will never take full root in your life if it's just a 40-minute message and we move on. This is, this, is meant, this is like an appetizer that's meant to provoke us to go eat, eat all week, sit on these things until it shows up in your gathering. Again, we don't want to just know objectively that blood of goats and animals are not enough. We all know that objectively, and we didn't bring one in. But I want that to show up in how I'm living. Here's a great practical thing. If you struggle with like feeling, uh, with things that we're saying, coming before God, if you really struggle with that, one of the things that you can do is ask yourself, if I believed that I really am his daughter or his son, how would I operate or act right now? And whatever 
you would do, do that. Yeah. And that's not faking it. That's, that's called faith. You're disciplining yourself into faith. So if you come in this morning and just say, ah, I feel so far from God. Well, you know that's a lie. You're his temple. So then the question is, well, what if I didn't feel far? How would that show up in the way that I'm worshiping him this morning? Then I would say in faith, engage right there. And what you'll find is the spirit of God will come and meet you in that. And all of a sudden there's breakthrough in your life. But a lot of times we're waiting for like the feeling to come that he's close again and then we step in. But that's not the way it works. You're, you're supposed to come in faith and say, I know I feel one way, but I know that's not the reality. So if I felt close, I would lift my hands right now. I would worship at the top of my lungs. And I'm going to do that. That's faith. That's pleasing God. <laughs> that, that, guys, that's pleasing to the Father. Man, a lot more to say in that. All right. So let's read. We're going to go through these seven things. And uh, just let your heart be encouraged this morning. So verse 22 says, but you have come to Mount Zion. Okay, stop. How did verse 18 start? For you have not come. You have not come to Sinai, but here's what you have come to is what the writer is saying. Now, who is he speaking to? Believers. If you're in Christ, this is what you've come to. But you want to hear something even more, I think, just profound and amazing? Is that when it says, but you have come to Mount Zion, that is written in past tense in the Greek. <laughs> it means it's an already reality. It's an accomplished truth. This is what the church is actually walking in right now. Sure, there's always these tensions of when Christ returns, what has been started will see in its fullness. And again, that would be right to say here. But know this, it's already been done. That means what we're about to read is what we encountered and experienced this morning. Now, this will blow your mind when some of the things we're about to read. That means when we came into this house this morning, what we're about to read is actually what was going on. And you may have not recognized it, but that's why we're reading this. So you, you get your heart anchored in it and have faith to know that when we come in, this is what is the right response to what God has done. So let's read verse 22 again. It says, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. All right, stop there. There's three designations, Mount Zion, living God, uh, heavenly Jerusalem. They're really all synonymous. Here's what it really wants you to know. When you come together, when we come as new covenant believers, we are coming before God and his kingdom. The whole idea is that we're coming before the living God. Think about in the old, what was just said. The old covenant, God was so obscure. There were signs of his presence, but you could not come really before God himself. In fact, an animal couldn't even touch the mountain that God was on. And now through, not because we've changed, not because God's changed, but your mediator is Christ. You, when you come in before God, when we come in as a community, we need to know something, guys. We are coming before the living God. How would that change if we really just sat on that and said, oh, my goodness. You're not coming before the teaching of God. You're not coming just before a song of God. You're not coming even just before a concept of God. You're coming before God himself. Everything that we do in this gathering, the teachings, the songs, is meant to lead us to the living God. How can it not be alive? How can it not be impactful? How can there not be transformation? How can there not be things that we don't often understand And when God is moving in our midst? And it says he's the living God. Of course God's alive, but it wants you to know he's present, he's active, he's moving, he's speaking, he's encountering. What did you come in this morning expect to happen in this tent? Did you expect to meet with the living God? Just think about that. I know sometimes I'm saying it in, in like, again, objectively it's true, but I forget. I forget. 
man, I'm coming into this place and I'm about to meet with the body of the living God. We're going we're gonna to come and ascend to the throne room of God. <laughs> My goodness, that's like this should be the most exciting time when we gather. What will God do? <laughs> And God responds to faith. So the more we're recognizing, it's not just that you're gathering, we're gathering around a teaching, although that's so important, but all of this is facilitating to come around the presence. Right? When Israel traveled through the wilderness, they, the tribes set up tents as they would go. They would constantly stop. Do you know what was in the middle of all the tribes? It was the Ark of the Covenant, the, the, the tent of meeting. It was this beautiful picture of all the tribes came around the presence of God as they traveled. It wasn't just around the teaching or song of God. Those things were to facilitate meeting with God himself. That's why we're here. Beloved, the, the gospel is about nearness. It's about nearness. God wants you near. One of the most famous expressions of Jesus is come. Come to me. Come to me if you're weary. Come to me if you're thirsty, we said this morning. Come. What is this saying in the new covenant? At the heart of the new covenant it says, you haven't come here, but you have come where? To the living God. God's inviting you to come. Not to just to a place, not to a tent, but to the living God. When we, when we walk through these tent doors, we should have the mindset of, I'm getting ready to meet with Yahweh. <laughs> this is incredible. This is what we're getting ready to do. And let me just say this. If you are ever in a religious setting, whether it's online, you're listening to a teaching in a place, and the message that's being communicated, whether it's clearly said or it's just kind of there, is stay away, stay back, I would say be very careful of that. Be very careful. That is old covenant reality. God's heart is he's removed every barrier that you could come near to him. And it's amazing. That's where transformation happens, is encountering the presence of the Lord. So when we set up those boundaries and say, first, wash yourself, then you can come near, we're actually setting people up to stay in bondage. It's through the coming to God himself is where man is changed. Like some of my most transformative moments have been in the midst of worship, where the leaders in the house that, were, that was leading it give such room for us to meet with living God that I'm wrecked before sermons ever preached. Like my heart is so on fire and I'm, I'm just a change. I could walk out and say, God has already spoken a message to me. And that's what I want here. I want to I meet with the living God here. Amen? So let's keep reading this. All that to say, this is what we experienced this morning. We met with the living God this morning. I'm sorry. I don't mean to say this heavy-handed, but just think about was our response appropriate to meeting with the living God? And I'm not saying heavy-handed. I'm not saying we're trying to force something, but it's a thing just to ask God, help me to open the eyes of my heart to what's happening here, to what's possible. I know for me, man, sometimes my mind's like, whew, all over, you know? Sometimes you want to get up and down outside the tent, and you realize when, that, when that's going on, what that's really a sign is we're not really understanding what we're actually doing, who we're actually coming before. Right? So that's not to be heavy-handed, but to say, wow, Lord, if I see those, that pattern in my life, Holy Spirit, help me. Open my eyes to see who I'm coming to meet with. All right, so he says, but, verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. You ready for this? This will blow your mind. This is what we came to this morning. And to innumerable angels in festal gathering. Guys, this is mind-blowing. <laughs> This is past tense. What did we come, what did we join into this morning? It says to innumerable angels in festal gathering. Let's just break this over. Innumerable angels, that means myriads, thousands upon thousands. Deuteronomy 33, Daniel 7, Revelation 5, all describe that God right now in his throne room in the heavens is surrounded by thousands upon thousands of angels. 
Do you know what that means? What, what he's trying to say, the writer of Hebrews, is that when you and I came in this morning to this rugged, plain tent and begin to lift our hearts and lift our praise and lift our song to God, do you know that we were coming before the throne room with angels to worship the Lamb of God? That's actually the reality. We were joining in with angels, beholding the Lamb of God, which also tells us we shouldn't be surprised when there's angelic activity in our gatherings. Of course we should see it. There's myriads and myriads. We're, we're not coming to worship the angels. We're side by side with them. You know what's interesting is Sinai, the angels are actually present, but they're separated from Israel. But here in the new covenant, we're almost linked side by side, man with angel glorifying, beholding the Lamb of God. So, yeah, we shouldn't be surprised that they're joining. Actually, can I, this, is not, this is just my own thought, but I've heard testimonies. I just wonder sometimes if our song is what the angels begin to also join in and sing before the throne. Because I've heard of people singing and worshiping, and you've probably heard of it, and angels come in, and they're not singing a different song. They're backing up what man is singing. And so, do you see, so as we come before God and we're singing, we're by the Spirit ascending before the throne room of God, joining in with these angels. And they may be saying, holy, 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 and we come in and say, you're beautiful, beautiful. And they say, let's join in with this. You're beautiful, Lord. You're beautiful, Lord. Well, how would that shift the way we're seeing our, uh, our gatherings here? It's incredible. Notice the second part, though. We're not only coming before innumerable angels, but what are they doing? They're in festal gathering. In other words, these angels are not just singing like, holy, 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 you're good, God. Festal gathering, this is the only time this word is ever used in the New Testament, although you will find it often used, especially by the Jews outside and other sources. And it's always used to describe a celebratory or extravagant party or festival. It's actually often connected to a national holiday. It is right to say that New Covenant worship at its heart is much like a national holiday celebration. That's the idea. And why, why, what, are, what are they celebrating? They're celebrating. They're celebrating. Some say that a lot of times these festal gatherings in the community would often be connected to when kings would have victory and they would return back. The whole city would shut down and there'd be these massive banquets with extravagant celebration, recognizing the victory of their king. So what some say is that actually what's happening in heaven is that the angels are, the, the gathering that's taking place, the celebration, is over the triumph of Christ in terms of sin and brokenness and death and Satan himself. And so when we come in, guys, we are coming in to a festal gathering. <laughs> That's incredible. This is the worship experience that we're meant to have. Amen? That's why I can't help but wonder, what do angels think when they look upon us and see us come in <laughs> and see our, sometimes our feeble attempts to worship, and they're like, don't they understand? Don't they see the forgiveness? Don't they see the victory? Don't they see the triumph? Don't they know the occasion of celebration that they are entering into? God, give us eyes to see. Man, and again, this stands in stark contrast to the experience at Sinai, which was this doom and gloom, unapproachable experience between man and God. And as I said before, I want to be clear. I think what happens a lot of times is we've labeled that as that experience is reverent. And so people are saying, I'm not going to enter into joyous celebration because that's irreverent. I don't want to do that. But guys, this is, this is the appropriate response to the Lord. Now let me be clear. That does not mean that we don't have pockets of stillness, silence, holy meditation, weeping, 
uh, that doesn't mean that we don't hit the whole counsel of God that has weighty subjects like we often do, whether it's sin or the wrath of God or God's just judgment. We, all those things should be in the gathering. But what it does mean that as believers, even when we hit those things, we should soon thereafter come back to Christ as the answer and source for the things that we just shared. Like where, where it's off is when you leave walking under that still and not a heart of joy that Christ came and satisfied the very thing we needed. So if we're going to talk about sin and its devastating destruction uh, uh, effects, let's do that. But let's just soon after come back to Christ who dealt with the penalty of sin and the power of sin that we would celebrate. If we're going to talk about the wrath of God, that's appropriate to do in this house. But let's just soon thereafter talk about how Christ absorbed it on our behalf. <laughs> like, this should be the defining mark of the house. Festal gathering when we come in. So break out the dancers. Break out the songs. Break out the clapping. Be weary of those who have yet to really, I feel like, just understand new covenant worship and want to silence these things and are just not really, honestly, have just not seen it, I guess, for themselves. So the question is, what are we calling and inviting people into when they come into the house of the Lord? Is it the dread and unapproachability that we see in Sinai or is it matchless, uh, is it unparalleled joy from experiencing intimacy with the Father? That's, that's, what, that's what we're after. Man, it's nice how quiet it is right now. Again, this is not to say that we are to be unduly rowdy, right? This is not to say that we are just looking to have a, a ruckus for the sake of that. We don't want that. But we as Christians should be the most joyous celebratory people. Guys, we've been resurrected from the dead. Our king is reigning. He's alive. All of heaven. Like, I don't want my perspective. I don't want a man's perspective who's just in bitterness. And honestly, he hasn't, he hasn't died for me. So I'm not going to let him dictate how I should worship my king. But when I see Jesus and I see heaven's perspective and the angels who are closer than I am right now and seeing him are breaking out in, in celebratory worship, I'm going to say they probably know something that I haven't seen. <laughs> That's what I want to come in. And I find we'll probably find a lot more breakthrough as we enter into that. All right. Let's, uh, let's keep moving. Verse 23. It says, And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. This, this is mind-blowing. There's a part of this I'm going to wait to hit in two verses because it, it'll really make this clear. I'm going to focus on a, a more understandable part of this. But this is let me say this. It's probably referring to all believers of all time. Okay, now we'll come back. There's a, there's, there's a statement that comes after this that will express it, but this is mind-blowing of who we're joining in when we worship God. Like, worship is... It's unbelievable what's actually happening here this morning. But let me just... Let me give you one side of this. The assembly of the firstborn... That's not angels. Uh, this, is re this is a reference for, I, I firmly believe, for a man. Uh, firstborn is a title that's first, it's for Jesus, but Israel was given it. Uh, it's this, really, it signifies a redemption. So this is a picture of the redeemed community coming before God. And what it says is that their names are, they're enrolled in heaven. And what that means is, remember in Luke 10, 20, uh, the disciples come back from delivering the demons, and Jesus says, that's great, rejoice that demons submit to you, but rejoice even more that your names are written in heaven. So that's, that, this is amazing. This is speaking, I think, primarily probably to people on earth, but their, their, um, their names have been inscribed in the heavenly archives. And interestingly, it's written in a perfect tense, which means like it is finished, like it is a work that was done and it's going to carry through for eternity. So their names have been inscribed. So here you have this picture that's so different than Sinai, where you've got God's people at the base of a mountain, like not sure where they stand with God. Here you have a confident group of believers whose names are inscribed in the heavens where God is enthroned. That's like the, the main picture. All right, let's keep going. 
And then it says, and to God, the judge of all. So this is meant to be a source of encouragement. When you and I gather this morning in worship, we're coming for God as the judge of all. In one sense, when we're outside of Christ, I, almost a picture it is that God's, judge, God's judgment stands against you. Now, he's always working for you, but in actuality, his judgment is, is over your life. It's against you. But here's what's amazing is that when you come into Christ, that same quality of God as judge is no longer working against you. It's working for you now. You coming before God and knowing that he's a judge in Christ is actually meant to encourage you because what it's saying is you belong now. His verdict over you is righteous, right? You're his son, you're his daughter. So this is meant to say as you come before him, now God's saying, back off, accuser. This one's mine, right? And that's to encourage your heart. And even whenever your heart condemns you, 1 John 3, you could be reassured knowing that God is greater. What that means is when you're constantly condemning yourself, saying, I don't know if I can enter in, know that God is greater than your verdict. Let the judge speak over your life. He's a better judge than you are in all facets. But here, this one, guys, is so, oh, man, this is so incredible. Look at this next part. Not only are you coming to the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Now, I could have hit this on the uh, verse before about those that are the assembly, the church of the firstborn. But the spirits of the righteous, it's actually a statement referencing to believers of every age. So what this is saying is that for right now, all believers of all time are right now together worshiping the Lord right now. This is the picture. And they're surrounded with angels. And what it's saying is that when we come into worship, we're actually joining into that experience. This is, this is mind-blowing. Like what we came into this morning is there's angels and the body of Christ for all of eternity is ever present with the Lord right now. That we're actually joining in with those that are worshiping God from all eternity past. So this means, like, guys, be encouraged. Your loved ones, think about it. Your loved ones that you, you've lost that love Jesus, they're not in some unconscious state right now. They're not in a soul sleep. They are alive with Jesus, worshiping the Lamb of God. And when you worship here, you actually are joining in with their worship. You're not coming before them. You're coming before God, but they're in this worship. This, this is, it's unbelievable what the Lord has done. Think about the saints of old. I mean, we joined in to worship this morning with, like, Abraham. That's what that means, David. These men that are with the Lord. And now, that's not their final state. The final state will be when God returns. But nevertheless, they're with him right now. And God's body is not separated to the body of earth, to the body of heaven. It's one body. So what it's trying to say is that when we come before the Lord, everyone a part of that body is all connected, and we're all worshiping God this morning. These are, like, powerful gatherings that we have. Hallelujah. All right, and let's finish it out right here. Mark, if you want to play some for me. In verse 24, it says, And to Jesus, here's where it ends. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So when we come in this morning and we went to worship, we have come before Angels, before the spirits of the righteous, the assembly of the firstborn, but we also have come right before Jesus, before the Lamb. And so just know this, that we have not come before, we didn't come before Moses, we're not coming before Mary, Jesus' mother, we're not coming before a saint, we come right before Jesus, who is the mediator of a new covenant. And now notice how when Sinai ended, the writer of Hebrews ended with Moses being terrified. And now you see this ends with Jesus. Because again, the whole thing here is that your confidence, 
Hebrews, a major theme is to have confidence to approach God boldly. Why can you have confidence this morning? Is because your mediator is not Moses, a fallen, corruptible man. But it's Jesus, the incorruptible one. That's your sole confidence to come before the Lord this morning. And it says this of Christ, that he is the one who has sprinkled his blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What is he saying? Why Abel? Why not Moses? Why not, why not David? Abel, because Abel was the first man to ever have his blood spilt. And so in many ways, Jesus is a second Abel. It's a picture of him. But when Abel was killed by his brother Cain, if you remember, God came to Cain and said, where is your brother? And he says, am I my brother's keeper? And in the end, the Lord says, your brother, Abel, his blood cries out to me. His blood is speaking to me, it's saying. What was it speaking? Vengeance, justice. Jesus' blood is better because he too was killed by his brother, Israel, if you will. But his blood is not crying out vengeance and justice. It's crying out mercy, forgiveness. It's crying out reconciliation. In Genesis 4, 11 and 12, it says, because of the blood of Abel being spilt, God says it brings curse on the ground. But Jesus' blood is better because when his blood was spilt, it's not cursing. It brings blessing. So everything we have this morning is because of that perfect blood. And, and I want you to know that as we continue to gather together, whether it's Sundays, whether it's in your homes with your family, whether it's in the prayer room, I want you to hold to this. We have not come to Sinai. We've come to Zion. And whenever your heart condemns you, you remind yourself that I have access in the way that I do because of Jesus. You look to Jesus, amen? So I want us to, as we have been, I want us to take communion this morning before people begin to leave. And we can certainly pray over individuals after, but I'm just going to ask the ushers to come around. We're so happy you could join us on the Home Church Podcast. We pray this week's message encourages you to behold the Lord Jesus and bring his kingdom wherever you go. You can visit us online at myhomechurch.org, subscribe to our YouTube channel, or follow us on social media. If you would like to give to this ministry, text the amount to 84321. Bless you.